0: What's up, Star Wars fans? You're listening to Han Talks First. I'm your host, Han. This is the podcast you're looking for, where we talk everything Star Wars. Currently, it is 45 days, 11 hours, 28 minutes, and 10 seconds until the release of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, which means we are in the middle of our Star Wars marathon once a week, every week, I will be watching one of the episodes and doing review right here on the podcast. This week we are on episode 2, Attack of the Clones, and it's going to be a shorter episode. I don't really want to talk too much about this movie, since I wanted to dedicate most of my review time to Revenge of the Sith. But there's still plenty of awesome things to talk about, and some things you might have never caught about this movie, But we're just going to dive right in. So grab your popcorn, grab your sand, and let's talk about everybody's favorite Star Wars movie. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Let's go. Episode 25, Han Talks First. Okay, so I hope you're all having a good week. Um, I certainly am. I just watched. What was it? I just watched The Lighthouse in theaters. And if any of you are thinking about going to see it, I highly recommend making this decision that you do, because it's a really good movie. I know it kind of. A lot of people don't like black and white films to begin with, because <clears throat> it's, you know, old. And People don't, they want new, but it's, it's really, it's really good. It It's, it's not just, uh, <clears throat> advertised as kind of like a horror thriller, but it, it's really more of like a fantasy drama with Greek theater overtones, and it's essentially a Greek play, but it's really good, and, um, <clears throat> it's not straightforward, I'll let you know, <clears throat> but uh, it's still a really good movie and great acting performances, and, uh, I want to see it again. There's, there's a lot to unpack in that movie. Um, something else I recently watched. Um, for those of you that know, I've talked about it before. I recently watched the <clears throat> excuse me, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance on Netflix. It's on season one. It's a prequel to an old movie from the 80s by the Jim Henson Company. And I had never seen the original Dark Crystal. So I wasn't really motivated to watch this uh prequel on netflix but something about it i was just like you know it looks it looks different it looks it looks fresh and original and i don't know it looks very creative i'll just i'll put it on and see if i like it i was captivated the moment it started playing it is beautiful it has a great story it's epic it's fantasy. It's uh, it's it's everything you want it to be. And if you're a Star Wars fan, you're going to love it because it's very very similar. I mean, it's called Age of Resistance, <laughs> but it it's so good. So anyway, this weekend I watched the original, <clears throat> and it's uh, it's a little funny because the the TV show is only on its first season and it's a prequel to the events leading up to this movie. So there's a lot of space in between both of these titles that has yet to be filled. So when I watched the original, it was heavy spoilers. (laughs) It's kind of like watching Revenge of the Sith, or I'm sorry, it's like watching Return of the Jedi right after you watched A New Hope and skipping The Empire Strikes Back. But it's still really good, and it's so worth it. It's so beautiful. It's so original. And I'm going to watch it again. I mean, I'm already... I've already watched Age of Resistance twice, or at least parts of it the second time, but I was completely in the first time. It's one of it's my new favorite TV show um and it's coming from a guy that really doesn't like television that much but so I highly recommend it the only reason I know it's a Star Wars podcast, but the only reason I bring it up is because it's very similar to Star Wars in its fantasy adventure um, type of movie making. And it's very hands-on, similar to the original Star Wars. But today we're here to talk about Attack of the Sand. I'm sorry, clones. And first thoughts after my viewing. So um, for those of you who haven't followed me on this journey, when I started last week with uh, The Phantom Menace, uh, before that I took like a little fast period where I didn't consume anything Star Wars from the episode uh, of the saga. So I probably went a couple months. I think I decided back in April that I was gonna take a break. So it's been a it's been a while since I've watched Star Wars, which is unlikely for me. But so I took a break and I started with the Phantom Menace, so I can kind of go in with like a fresh palette <clears throat> after seeing him for a long time, so I can give a better review and analysis of it. So my first reaction or thoughts after seeing Attack of the Clones for the you know billionth time, um it's it's a lot better than i remember it it's it's a beautiful uh movie color wise and it it's very it's very powerful in its imagery and i think that's the most important part of this movie is its imagery <clears throat> and not so much the story and everything because Essentially, the story is about the this emperor who hires this Sith Lord Count Dooku, who hires this bounty hunter Jango Fett, who hires this changer that I uh, don't know her name, but the in the opening scene, who tries to kill the senator Padme. <laughs> so it's just it's like this just just ch- chain of command of one person trying to kill another and but while that's a little confusing and uh, overkill it really shows how uh emperor the chancellor or senator palpatine <clears throat> was manipulating the system and hiding behind closed doors to you know maneuver his way to power and do it without anyone knowing it was him So I think it's a good, it really represents how no one knew what the hell was going on. Because he's going through all these people to get what he wants. And no one can find the big boss of it all. The final boss battle. So there is a lot about this movie that I really do enjoy. There's some parts of it that I don't enjoy. But some of the parts I do enjoy is that it's a detective film. Obi-Wan Kenobi goes out to try and discover the um, who's in charge and who's trying to kill the senator, and ultimately who is behind the war in general. And on the other side it's also a, a love tale about Anakin and Padme, and then finally it is a a war film about the start of the Clone Wars. So I'm going to start with talking about the opening sequence. The whole, the whole like, I don't know, 15 minutes that it is. I really love the opening sequence of this movie. Um, starting with the attempt on uh, Padme's life. And it was her decoy that was, that got destroyed. And then the Anakin and Obi Wan are hired to watch after her, be her security, and then they find this changer who was hired by Jango Fett. And I don't know, the whole car chase scene was really cool. It it was one of my favorites as a kid, and I really loved. I, mean, I know it's, I know some everyone has a problem with listening to Anakin's lines, but for me, they're like memorable lines when. Um, and Obi-Wan. Uh, Obi-Wan's sass really comes out in this film. And then it just elevates into Revenge of the Sith and he becomes the most sassy character in Star Wars, which is so great. But it's a really cool opening scene. It really <clears throat> sparks adventure. And, you know, when they go through the... How many times have I told you not to go through power couplings? It's just... I don't know. It's really fun. It's it's fun. That's the best way to describe it. It's a fun scene. And uh, another thing about the the one theme of it being a love story. It's... The reason why it's so uh, impactful in this film is because it's um, about two people that aren't supposed to be in love. It's the Romeo and Juliet of Star Wars. One is uh, forbade to love and the other one is a senator who it's frowned upon if they uh, start a family or something like like that. But uh, I know... The dialogue is iffy, but uh, the story itself is important. And having to hide that love just it it uh makes Anakin more upset, right? <clears throat> so let's just talk. I'm like I said, this is gonna be a shorter episode. I don't have a lot of time today, but I just want to talk about some of the most impactful things on me when viewing this movie. So, uh, first of all, <clears throat> excuse me, the Tuscan Raiders. Let's talk about that. Uh, it said last week or two ago that um, I was really looking forward again to see Shmi Skywalker because I thought she was a really good character in The Phantom Menace. And she's back in this one. And that whole scene where Anakin finds her and is um, holding her and her death is one of my favorites of this scene. I think it's the most moving part of this movie, and the thing that sticks out the most to me, though, is the music, and I'm going to play a small excerpt of it here right now, so let's take a listen, and then we'll talk about it. so the moment that she dies we get that somber intro and then we see her head fall and she becomes weightless and then anakin starts to get overwhelmed and then you see something snap inside of him and that's when you get that uh those oh that terrifying sound come in Da-da-da-da-da and that to me is some of the most powerful imagery that music in Star Wars has contributed to character. Anakin's theme throughout the prequels is one of the most dynamic scores that John Williams had has uh, continued through these three movies. It starts off as soft and innocent and childlike, almost like a Harry Potter style Um, theme and then in to attack of the clones it goes from that uh, soft song into a a confused temper tantrum of uh, musical archetype for this character and we really see that transition here and then from there it switches and it just grows and grows and becomes more chaotic more a obscure uh, abstract but it it shows here this is the like the halfway point for Anakin's turn and this is when he truly starts to turn to the dark side and this is one of my favorite scenes in this movie because of that the music is just so impactful and it works perfectly here you know in attack of the clones there is a lot less music than some of the other movies but when it is involved it's some of the best and it it's it's shown it, it matches the images perfectly. Another example is when Across the Stars comes in during um, during the sand scene when he's talking about how much he don't he hates sand. Um, the music there is actually un, it's beautiful. It's so perfect. It fits it fits the images. Don't think about the acting or the dialogue for a second. Okay, close that book in your mind. Just if when you go back and watch Attack of the Clones, watch that scene and just look at the imagery and then listen to the music with it, it, it flows perfectly with the characters and where they're going in their story. It And then as soon as they kiss, the the music swells up and it crescendos and it gets higher and more powerful and beautiful. And then when Padme breaks away, it dies down again and it just becomes that somber again, similar to this scene. You know, we have a lot of somber, beautiful, uh, sad tones that just build and build into something beautiful and then they get shut down and that shows a lot about Anakin Skywalker's arc throughout this movie. You know, he, he's told from his discovering by Qui-Gon that he's the Chosen One. He's meant to be something bigger than than, than all of us. And that's a lot of pressure. And it, that pressure really shines through in Episode 3, but we'll talk about more then. But also with his love. You know, he finds this person that he loves, and he wants to be with them, but she doesn't want to you know, have affect their work or their influence on the people, and so that gets shot down, and Obi-Wan telling him to be patient and know his place, it's just, there's a lot of pressure on this guy, and a lot of people want him to be something that he doesn't want to be himself, and that's what causes his downfall, and it's reflected in the music perfectly, in my opinion. Attack of the Clones has some of the best music in Star Wars, period, just my opinion. But again, about the Tusken Raider scene, did you know that the reason, like, why did they take Shmi in the first place, right? Like, what do they need with Shmi Skywalker? Well, Count Dooku, this is canon, Count Dooku actually hired the Tusken Raiders to kidnap Shmi. And of course, that order was executed by Palpatine. So he was the one who organized this so that, because he knew Anakin loved her, and As he said in episode three, he was like, you remember the stories you've told me about your mother? They talk behind the scenes or through this 10-year period of Phantom Madison Attack of the Clones, they've became close, and he's learned about uh, his relationship with his mom. So he wants to destroy that. So he hires Count Dooku to hire the Tusken Raiders to kidnap Shmi. Another brilliant design uh, of this movie, uh, just showing how... The Emperor has been really uh, closing the curtain on himself and making it so that no one can see what's going on behind it. And he's hiring all these people to do his deeds for him. Just masterful. And another great part about that scene is Qui-Gon Jinn tries to stop Anakin. He tries to use the force from the netherworld to reach out and tell him stop. Because if you remember when it cuts to Yoda sitting on the in the meditation room, and it, you hear Qui-Gon scream, Anakin! No! He, he really tried to call out to the physical realm and keep Anakin from stopping that. Um, just another thing hidden in that scene. That scene is very powerful to me, and it's a pivotal moment in the whole prequel trilogy. So go back, rewatch that scene. I think it's great, and Shmi Skywalker... Whoever the actress is, she's great. She's one of my favorites in this this world. Next, let's talk about some emergency powers, okay? Because we all know that the reason why the Emperor came to eventually do everything he's going to do in Revenge of the, the Sith is he was given emergency powers by none other than Jar Jar So Jar Jar overheard from... Uh, people on the council or related to the council saying that if only he had the power to do this, then we can get shit done, but not everyone's agreeing. So you see him kind of contemplating that. He's like, well, I'll make a move since I am now the representative of Naboo because Padme gave it to me. She's not here. I'll do what I want. So he gave, he moved for that uh, vote in uh, him to have emergency powers and apparently everyone loved it. So they gave it to him. This is very similar to the same ploy that Adolf Hitler used to gain similar, Dictorial power in the 1930s to Germany, and that's essentially what this scene is trying to to show. Like this happens in history all the time, and it's not so like odd that it's happening. The politics behind this actually is justified, and it's very clever how it was done. Because again, the move for emergency powers was kind of told through Anakin, and who was talking to Anakin was Palpatine, and it really shows again, in Revenge of the Sith. You see why I want to take more time on talking about Revenge of the Sith? <laughs> uh, episode two is kind of just the filler. While it is beautiful, and there's tons of achievements in animation and stuff, it, it's, it's a filler. Uh, next, I want to talk about Battle of Geonosis, which is the most beautiful part in this movie. It's what everything led up to as far as commu- computer animation w- wanted to achieve, and it was done here. Now, did you know that Attack of the Clones was the first feature film to be shot on HD cameras? George Lucas pioneered the movement of uh, the digital era, and that could be an explanation to why most people don't like the effects of this movie, because it doesn't look quite there yet. He wanted to do it with Phantom Menace, but when he reached out to Sony to create the cameras, they did not have enough time nor ability to or tools to create a hd camera that could do what film cameras done and by the time attack of the clones was ready the cameras were ready so what's interesting about the prequels themselves it was done at a time when these cameras were first started to get made and because of that the highest quality they could do was a 1080 pixel count which means if you're ever waiting for a blu-ray release to come out of one of the prequel movies in 4k resolution it's not going to happen because the highest that those cameras could shoot on was 1080p. Isn't that interesting and kind of disappointing? (laughs) But still, for the time, this was an achievement, and it really pushed everything, and it really shows in the Battle of Geonosis. There is uh, um, very little to do with live action in those shots. It was all done by the animators, and it all looks fantastic. It was shot in a spaghetti western style, which is why I think it stands out to me, because it has that old-school war feeling that you're really in the action and what i mean by spaghetti western is the way it's shot the way cameras pan up and down from the action and the way it zooms in and out in the frame so a good example is when they're flying on these clone ships through the air it shows it from a distance and then it dramatically zooms in on the people inside and they have like a dialogue or whatever Anyway, the effects in that are really cool. It's some of my favorite, um, and it's also very original. And this is when we first get to see the beginnings of the Empire from the early stages of design, as far as troopers, ships, and um, you know, the whole military, the whole structure of it. Um, Battle of Geonosis, whether you like it or not, it was. Uh, it's what is it? It's like our bc like the battle of geonosis is what people refer to as like the time before and the time after it's a very monumental uh point in the star wars history something interesting about the fight scene it it's also visually it's 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 amazing the way it's shot and everything clone troopers always move from the right to the left side and battle droids always move from the left to right side one, this was done so that it could have consistency with the audience when they're upon viewing, so that they know, okay, who's bad, who's good, and they can keep track a little better in this giant uh, war scene. And the other part of it was uh, just to show the imagery of both sides coming together from each other, but mainly it was done so that they didn't get lost in this massive war. Just something interesting that I think is it shows from behind the scenes on that this film was taken care of by the animators. And if you watch the behind-the-scenes, you can go back and see that there was one woman who was in charge of all of the laser blasts. And she had to go in by hand and draw each one, every frame. And one guy was in charge of all the lightsabers, and he would do the same thing, but for the lightsabers. I just thought it was interesting. It really shows that it. if you've seen all the blaster shots in this, there's a lot. And it's it, It's amazing what they did and the, the time that was put into these. The last couple of things I want to say about this movie is... Um, something really cool that called back to the Empire Strikes Back was when Obi-Wan is hunting down Jango Fett and his son. They fly through this asteroid field, remember, because Jango wanted to lose him, and he was like, oh, he'll never follow us through here. It's, he's crazy if he does. That's similar to how Han Solo tried to escape from Boba in Empire Strikes Back, going through the asteroid field. And when Obi-Wan Kenobi turned off his power and landed on one of those asteroids or meteors. Uh that's when they lost him or thought they killed him and they were able he was able they were able to escape and he was able to follow them blindly. Boba learned from this because in The Empire Strikes Back, when Han did that trick, the Empire turned away and but Boba Fett was still able to follow them because he knew what they were gonna do. So I just thought that was a really cool tie in and it also shows Boba is you know, I don't really like that kid but it shows that the character is learning from all of his time with his father and studying to become the person he becomes in empire strikes back the bounty hunter of his caliber uh one last cool thing about this movie uh, i think would have been cool is Kawaduku is actually supposed to be a female you can see this in the behind the scenes as well some of the early george really wanted it to be a female sith the uh, first introduction of that and uh I don't know what changed the mind. Maybe Christopher Lee just showed interest in being in the movie, and that's why they went with him anyway. But it was supposed to be a female, and the original designs ended up being used in the Clone Wars, and that turned into Asajj Ventress. And that really makes me wish that it would have stayed a female character because Asajj Ventress is a really cool design and a really cool character, and it would have made me love her even more in the Clone Wars and possibly get some spinoffs because she has a, a huge story to tell. But anyway that was just another cool fact uh, that's it for this episode I told you it was gonna be short but next week Revenge of the Sith actually you know what I'll give you an early Thanksgiving gift I'll just release it a little a little earlier I'll do it in like a day or two How about that Revenge of the Sith um, but yeah if you don't like this movie I highly encourage you to just go back and watch it just look at the visual imagery it really is groundbreaking and it really stands out and it's 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 um it's essential to the movement into the digital era of filmmaking. And while it has its problems, it, it's amazing what they did with what they had and that they were creating it from, from nothing. And could you imagine if those movies were made today, like how beautiful they would look? Like just put it into perspective a little bit. But the music is some of the best I've heard from John Williams in this and the, the, the imagery Uh, of this movie is beautiful now a lot of people want to blame george lucas for all the dialogue and crap but you got to remember this movie wasn't just written by him there was a co-writer on this movie let me see if i can pull up his name really quick because it i just think it's funny that george isn't all to blame for this there was a let's see attack of the clones okay so yeah during uh after the second rough draft, A another writer was hired to come in, Jonathan Hales. Jonathan Hales came in and he edited the third draft and then the final of the script. Uh, he was really only known for working on the Indiana Jones TV show and The Scorpion King. So if you're going to blame writing, blame it on both those dudes because they both had something to do with it. Um, anyway, really excited for the next episode of Revenge of the Sith and... I hope you all have a great day. Thank you for listening. Please share, please share this episode or this show. It doesn't have to be this episode, but share it with uh, some people, some of your Star Wars friends, and uh, I would really appreciate it if you did that. So thanks again, and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Han Talks First.